We're going to listen to the scriptures now and um, want to read two readings this morning. Uh, The first one, if you've got your Bibles with you, otherwise it'll appear on the screen in front, is Psalm 133. And then I'll be turning to Philippians uh, chapter 2. Psalm 133. It's a psalm of David. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. And there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And then from Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Shall we just pray? together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that we have your word in our hands and it is a light to our path. And we pray that as we just share some time together this morning, we pray that you would speak by your Holy Spirit to encourage our hearts that we may be all that you want us to be. Lord Jesus, that as you prayed, we may be one in you. That as David sings out in his psalm, that we might be united and know your blessing. And as Paul writes, that we might be more like Jesus. That is our request day by day as we pray humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Would I join this church if I were not one of the leaders? That's a question that I pondered on this week because when the Cornerstone leaders met to pray together, we have a monthly meeting of encouragement and accountability. And we've set ourselves various questions based on uh, some material from New Wine about challenging one another in our walks with God, challenging one another in developing our character, 
challenging one another in growing in leadership. And there's one um, called Living Out Kingdom Values, and there's lots of questions, 40 or so questions that we ask one another. And one of the questions, it was right at the bottom, and we didn't actually get to it because uh, we talked about other things, as we often do. But the last question, it was, we all had to pick one that we would want to share. And uh, the last question was, would I want to join my church if I were not the leader? If not, then what do I need to bring about change? And as we've been going through our vision series, and uh, we have it all on our um, promotional material and our notice sheets, I kind of just asked myself the question, would I join this church if I were not the leader? And I have to be honest with you, and I said, yes, I would, because I love this church. And I love this church because I love what God has done through this people, through the years that we look back on, that God has chosen this tiny church in the Cotswolds to do something amazing in. And he has a reason and a purpose for doing that. He doesn't just think, oh, you know, on a whim. He has a plan and a purpose for doing that. This church and the building on the high street could have easily been by now a pine shop or a tea room or a restaurant or converted into a multi-million pound mansion. But God did not allow that to happen. He built his church. And even when it was just a handful of people, he raised up a missionary people. And now across Cornerstone, as the leaders meet together, across our two church plants and ourselves, we gather over 500 people on a Sunday morning to worship the Lord. And that as we scatter every Sunday morning, when we leave the buildings in which we worship in, we all go out on mission. And every Monday morning, Edward and I and the leadership team, uh, the staff team, pray for you all. That as you go out on mission, and whether it's to Istanbul, or whether it's to the workplace, or to the college, or to the school, that God will bless you and use you there. I love this church because it is made up of faithful people, loving people. It comes into its own when there is need, when we carry one another. I love it when people just say to me, they are overwhelmed by the love that gets expressed when there's a need, when someone needs carrying. So I'm just so proud to be part of a church like that. Part of a church that has the vision at its center of what Jesus has asked us to do. I love this church because we have a habit of keeping our eyes on Jesus. And it's a brilliant habit. And a habit we should never lose. And uh, a while back, someone said to me, I don't know if it was meant to be a compliment. They said, your church is so Jesus-centered. And I thought, Brilliant. I love this church because over the years we have seen many people 
young and old, come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Love it when parents tell me that their children have made a commitment, whether they're aged four or whatever. And it's just brilliant. Or whether through other activities that we do, we see people come to know Jesus. It is the greatest joy of my life. Because something eternal happens. Something has changed eternally for that person. And we sometimes don't get it. The whole of heaven rejoices at just one who turns to the Lord Jesus. And they party like anything in heaven. And we say, oh, that's really nice. But one day, we will know and we will join in that amazing party as we are with Jesus, with all those who have come to know him, all those who have bowed the knee and acknowledged Jesus as king of their lives. And so when we talk about building the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God comes, the kingdom of God comes when people confess Jesus as king. And he takes rule and reign in their lives. There's nothing quite like it. And every time that happens, the family of God is blessed with a new arrival, a new baby brother, a new baby sister. And it's really amazing. That's why I love this church. And I know that God has more for us if we would keep our eyes on him, keep seeking, keep desperate for him. The deepest sadness in my life and in my ministry is that I have not seen as much as I had hoped for. I thought I'd see more. I want to see more. I'm still hungry and desperate for more. I don't want ever to settle and say, well, that was good. We want to press in for the more. And I know it's the heartache of some of our lives that we don't see our loved ones coming into the kingdom. And some have turned away from Jesus and some don't want to know about him at all. But we keep pressing on for every single one of them. And that's why we have our hungry meetings once a month. I know that you're praying in your home groups and small groups and triplets and things. But we have a vision to see over a hundred of us gathers just once a month on that Monday evening just to cry out. For God, would you come along? Just make that hour a priority, that we stand together as a church for the more that God has for us. The next one is on the 12th of November. Put it in your diaries. And we pray for revival as the heart cry of the church. Another sadness in my life and my heart and my ministry is that there are some family members that we don't see very much. There's a program on telly, I haven't really watched it, but I caught note of the title of Long Lost Relatives Reunited. And someone does all the research and they, they reunite long lost relatives. Twice recently, and uh, I kind of beat myself up for it, because twice recently, two people have said to me, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, do you? And I've said, no. No. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. 
But if you are a Christian, you are the church. And we miss you. We don't go to church, do we? I mean, it's in our vocabulary because we're used to it. We're going to church. We're not going to church. We are the church. On a Sunday, on a Monday, and a Tuesday right through, we are the church. This is the church gathered where we come to worship and just renew our commitment to the Lord and to one another, to being a body together, a family together. But we are the church. And whether we like it or not, the moment that we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we become part of his body, the church, his rescue team in the world. You can no more be a believer and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. Whether that family is thriving or not. You are part of a family. And God places us in his family. His family. I've even heard some Christians say to me that they love Jesus, but they hate the church. And that's actually out of order. It's like saying you hate yourself, and Jesus doesn't want us to do that. I know where it comes from, and I know for some it's the hurt and disappointment and misunderstandings and sometimes theological differences. But I tell you who hates the church. The devil hates the church. And I don't think we should side with him ever. He wants to destroy the church because he knows that the church is God's rescue mission in the world. And he'll try every tactic he can. And that's why coming back to this unity is so important. One of the things that just struck Hermie and I when we first came to the church over 16 years ago was just the unity in the church. You know, when Alice Bennett, bless her, with such an attitude, well, I don't like the modern songs and I don't like the drums, but... Because the kingdom is coming, we'll say yes. And I know you're going to rip out the pews. And I know you're going to rip out the organ. And I don't like it, but because the kingdom is coming, we will say yes. What an attitude. She even promised me the oldies would back us to the hilt. We are the people of God. And as a family, it comes into its own. But sometimes just because we're the family of God doesn't mean we're always, always get on ever so well with everybody and we have permanent grins on our faces. Just like our human families that we didn't choose. The same is in our real family, the family of God. This is the family that will last forever. None of us will live up to each other's expectations. And we're not perfect, are we? And we're not a perfect church. But we're a church that puts Jesus first. And some of us can be cranky and grumpy, and sometimes we just take it all for granted because we've been so blessed. But that's okay, 
because we know that that's part of family life. I mean, I grew up in a family as one of four children. I had two big brothers and a big sister. It was a nightmare. We had, but no, seriously, we had some really good times and great times. And, um, but I also remember the fights that I had with my brothers and my sister, but I won't tell you about that because she always won anyway. But it's <laughs> and some people ask me why I eat so fast. If you've ever invited me for a meal, I'm sorry about this, but you've just started and I'm finished. Uh, I had two big brothers. If you didn't in fast, you didn't get seconds. We used to have to hold hands for grace so no one got a head start. <laughs> and I go and see my parents now, and they still do it. Go. <laughs> There's a clue in the simile that David talks about brothers and sisters. And sometimes we do fall out with one another. I remember my brother and I having to sit down and have really long chat. He had become a Christian years before me. And we had hurt each other quite badly. And when I became a Christian, we had to sit down and just talk some things through. Doesn't mean we've agreed on everything since. We don't. I mean... Talk about stories of brothers in the Bible, Cain and Abel, they fell out big time. Joseph, well, we looked into that at the church weekend away. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Even the brothers of Jesus were convinced that he'd gone mad. If you read in the early Gospels, they'd come to grab him. They thought he'd gone mad. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to be in unity for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of the gospel. And we know, and I know more than anyone, some of the weaknesses of this fellowship. But the main thing is that we keep the main thing the main thing. And if anyone isn't happy about one or something in the church, then can you make a difference? Can you make it better? Be part of the team as we seek God's purpose and will for us as his people in this place. Where it becomes unacceptable is when we become divisive. And that just steps over the mark. Paul, the Lord Jesus, David. They talk about unity a lot. And as we seek to see the kingdom of God come, this is really important because we're at war. We're in a battle. And we are better together than we are on our own. I do meet Christians who, they're not part of any fellowship, but they're not stronger for it. They are not stronger. You don't have to go to church on a Sunday to be a Christian. But to be part of a family of God is so important. We can accomplish far more together than we could ever on our own. So the question is not, am I going to be in the family of God? Because we already are if we believe in Jesus. But how am I going to live within the family of God? 
And we want to go for God, don't we? We've only got this one crack at it. This isn't the rehearsal. This is one crack at going for God in our lives and going for God together. And for whatever purpose and plan that God has made, he has put us together for this moment in time. For this moment, he has placed us together. And I truly believe that as we stand and as we go forward as one, we will see amazing things that God can do with a people who are for him and for one another. One in spirit and purpose, as Paul says. One in heart and mind, as Paul says. That each one of us seeks God for why he has placed us here at this time. That we may grow in our faith, in our maturity, and become more and more like Jesus. In that reading from the Psalms, it's a song that was sung as uh, the pilgrims went up to Jerusalem. The people of God made their way to the festival to worship the Lord. And it's just a beautiful picture of unity. It doesn't take much to imagine that picture. You just have to think back to the Jubilee celebrations. Those crowds going down the mall. Imagine that as the people of God come to worship. All seeking a common goal. To bring glory to the Lord. And they were together in unity and purpose and fellowship and community. And we too, we come. That picture of precious oil on the head running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard. It's a picture that comes from Exodus. When instructions are given for the ordination of Aaron and the other priests and they're anointed with oil, it's a sign of God's presence. When brothers and sisters live together in unity, it is a sign of God's presence. It is a symbol of the Spirit of God. It's a sign of the warmth and the ease of God's community where there is a oneness of heart and mind. And the most important thing is it's a symbol of anointing. God has anointed his people to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That fellowship communion is based on our total commitment and allegiance to Jesus as king above all else. The second image that he brings in that psalm is as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. And you think, what's that about unless you're good at geography? Because Mount Hermon is the highest peak in that part of the world, snow-covered peak, 9,000 feet high. And the dew every morning is so heavenly, it just so drenches everything. And the psalmist David is writing as that unity is as if that dew were falling in the desert, drenching the desert places and bringing life and growth and vibrancy. Bringing dry, barren places to life and fruitfulness, refreshing, life-giving every morning. And so we, as a church here, We love God with everything that we are. We love one another. 
We carry one another when we can and we bear with one another. And sometimes we go through painful things but we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Nothing else. We come together every Sunday with that increasing expectation of what is God up to? I hope you come with that expectation. What is God up to amongst us? Why has God done this in Chipping Camden? For his glory and he wants to do more. And it ends with this wonderful promise. Where he finds that unity, he bestows, not only bestows, he commands blessing, even life forevermore. Commands it. That's why the devil's out for it, isn't it? See, when the devil divides churches, he destroys their influence their effectiveness. They turn in on themselves because he knows that the Lord commands his blessing on unity in the spirit. Unity for the gospel, for the kingdom. And we're here to make Jesus king. That was going to be my answer to the question when the leaders got together. But I didn't get a chance to say it. So I thought I'd say it here. I love this church. And I love what God is doing. And I love what God has done. And I love what God will do. If we would keep our eyes on him. Amen. Bless you. Let's pray. Who needs the church? Lord, you tell us that the world needs your church. The lost needs your church. And we pray, as we often pray, for revival in your church. That we would be quickened in our passion for the Lord Jesus. That we would be marked out as a people because we put Jesus first, above all else. And we do thank you, as we often do, for the works that you have done in and through this people, but we ask humbly for more. Will you do more? Will you save more? Will you heal more? Will you set more free? We pray for our families, for our husbands and wives or parents or children who don't know you, and we plead for them, will you break in? Will you tear down some of the hardness of heart? Will you open up their eyes? Will you open their ears just to hear how much you love them? And will you use us in that? And then bring us back rejoicing week after week as we see you at work in us and through us. And to you be all the glory all the praise, all the honor. You are our king. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to finish our worship together as we sing together, declare the praise.